My name is Black for those who are joining us for the first time. Uh, we're in our third week of the book of James in our series titled Dead Faith. Um, it's been a challenging one for me uh, on a personal level, and I hope that it's been equally challenging and encouraging um, for you as well. So, so we're going to uh, get straight into our third talk uh, in the series today. The title for today's sermon is Love Hard. Especially when it's hard. Love hard, especially when it's hard. And we're going to be reading from James chapter 2, verses 8 till 13. James 2, uh, 8 till 13. If you have your Bibles open, please say, love hard. It's good. Let's read. If you really fulfill... The royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you. Um, that it's living, it's active. Um, as DK reminded us, it's, it's like a, a double-edged sword, Lord, uh, that pierces through bone and marrow. Um, and your word pierces through flesh and gets to our spirit, Lord. And so we pray uh, that as you speak to us this evening, uh, that we would be receptive, our hearts would be softened, Lord. We'd be, go- we'd be doers of your word. Lord, help us to love, love hard, because that's what you call us to do, especially when it is hard, because it's very difficult in those moments. And so I pray, Father, that you would do this work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Most of us in this room would know the story of the 70-year-old black woman who was called to hear how her husband and son died at the hands of an Afrikaans um, apartheid security officer at the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, This 70-year-old gets up and the judge has finished reading the crimes of this um, officer and then turns to the old lady and says to her, ma'am, how would you want justice to look like? This man brutally killed both your son and your husband, how would you want judgment or justice to look like? Listen to what she says in response to the judge. I want three things, I quote. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was buried so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and my son were my only family. 
I want, secondly, for Mr. van der Boek to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have. And finally, Judge, I would like Mr. van der Boek to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. van der Boek in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. End of quote. Love hard, especially when it is hard. Here's an example of a Christian who did exactly that, church. And that's our key takeaway for this evening as we look at the section in the book of James that James would say to these Christians who are being persecuted as we've seen over the past two weeks and would say to us this evening as well, love hard, Christian, especially when it is hard. So for the past two weeks, we looked at James chapter 1, and we saw the themes of joy, wisdom, and last week, uh, the theme of words, but particularly God's word and how that shapes our reality, and how it should, in fact, shape our reality. Uh, today, we are looking at the theme of love and partiality. In fact, James introduces this theme in chapter 1, verses 9 till 11. If you've been doing your homework, you would recognize that. But he picks it up here in chapter 2, uh, from verses 1 till verse 13. But we're going to be focusing, obviously, uh, on verses 8 till 13. And I'll tell you in a minute why. But in verses 1 till 7, James gives the context of the sin of partiality that he wants to address. To obviously lead these Christians to what they called for, and that is love. And so he says to them, this is what partiality looks like. If you have your Bible, read with me verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. For if a man um, wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man is, uh, shabby uh, is in shabby clothing also comes in, verse 3, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet. That's what the sin of partiality looks like. You treat other people differently based on their social status or their class, or background, whatever the case is. And so you start separating people based on worldly standards. And we've seen in week one how James is hammering that we shouldn't appeal to the world's wisdom in order to live our lives, but we should appeal to God's wisdom. And so the sin of partiality is rooted in that. You start defining the world in your own terms, the terms of the culture, or the terms of your preferences, and you divide or treat people in that regard. So why are we focusing on chapter 2, verses 8 till 13? Well, because James zooms into this theme of love. We can sit here all night and hammer each other's hearts about why we should avoid the sin of partiality. 
But that just does not do anything to us. It tells us what not to do, but it does not tell us what we should do. And so as we look at the theme of love from verses 8 till 13, James wants us to walk away with that this evening. My prayer is that we would walk away knowing that we are people of love. Week one, we saw that we are people of joy. Last week, we saw that we are people of God's word. And this week, if you have given your faith and trust in Jesus, James wants you to know this. You are people of love. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's what God has called you into. You are a person of love. And church, here's the truth. Only love can conquer real hate. Genuine, real love can conquer the hate that exists in all our hearts. Not a cup of coffee, although that would be nice. Right? Not, not even a million. That would be cool. But only genuine, real love that comes from the gospel can conquer hate. Anything else would be like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. You're just playing games. Only love can go deep into where the bullet has gone into. Pull it out. Stitch that wound. And heal it as though there was never a wound to begin with. Only real love can do that. And so again, James wants you to know this. You are a person of love if you trust Jesus. If you've placed your heart and life in Jesus, you are a person of love. And if that is true... Love hard. Love hard. Especially when it is hard. Amen. Amen. Three ways we're going to see how this plays out in our lives. And these are where we are points where we're going uh, this evening. So, three ways in which loving hard, especially when it's hard, plays itself out. Well, firstly, we're going to look at love. Right? Again, this is who we are. So, we're going to look at our identity and from that see uh, who we are and what God has called us to be. Secondly, we're going to look at the law. Because the law helps us to repent, especially when we are tempted to justify our hate. Am I the only one? Amen. 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 When you're so easily tempted to justify, but I have all this reason why I hate this person, God. And God is like, yeah, sure, dog. Look at the law and it will help you repent when you justify your sin. And lastly, we'll look at mercy. How to live with mercy in our hearts, in our lives rather. Because it's only the mercy of God that will help us to be merciful towards others. So three things we're going to look at. Love, law, live. Right? If you're taking notes, love, law, live. That's where we're going. Let's look at love. Verses 8 till 9. Um, so our first point for this evening, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so here's what James is saying in those first two verses, that this royal law, which we'll get into later, whatever this royal law is, one of its fundamental requirements is that you love your neighbor. That's the fundamental requirement of what the royal law is. Um, and I know all of us hear that, and the first thing in our minds is, who's my neighbor? James, uh, Reggie did a, an amazing sermon uh, last week, 
looking at the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan, and the lawyer asks Jesus the same question, trying to trick Jesus. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? All right, so check that sermon out. Uh, Reggie did a brilliant job there. Uh, but here's, here's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is everyone that is not you. That is pretty clear. Your neighbor is everyone that is not you. So your father is your neighbor, your mother, your work colleagues, the petrol attendant, the lady at spa at pick and pay, the homeless guy at the traffic lights, the car guards, your complex security guard, your spouse, your child, your creepy uncle, your difficult aunt, your enemy. All those are your neighbors. And that's in a general sense, but it's true. That's in a biblical sense, but specifically more in this context in James. James wants you to know that your neighbor is everyone that you're sitting around right now. Anyone in this church, anyone who considers themselves a member of this family or anyone who visits us and walks through those gates, that is your neighbor. Why? Because James wants to deal with the sin of partiality within the church. So it's easy for us to say, well, it's cool, we'll learn about what the sin of partiality is, you know, and then we think of everyone outside there, but as soon as we get in our cars and leave, we're not going to do it, because that's easy. But James says, you're going to see these people every Sunday, and hopefully throughout the week as you do life together, whether it's in life group or you're just hanging out because you're Christians and you belong to the same family, you're going to be forced to love hard especially when it's hard. It's difficult. If you've been a Christian for two seconds, you know how messy Christians are. When people are like, well, Christians are hypocrites, I'm like, yeah. That's why we've given our lives to Jesus. We know how filthy we are. We know how difficult it is to live with each other. And so James says, God wants to deal with us strictly as his children. So before we look at who's our neighbor out there, and that is true, let's turn to your neighbor right now. That is your neighbor. Look at that person. And so whatever the royal law is, again, one of its fundamental requirements is that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so you'd be asking yourself again like last week, how, Sway? How am I supposed to love my neighbor? Oh, let me tell you how I love myself. And I bet you guys could relate to this, and that's how you should love other people. Here's how I love myself. I'm very slow to anger when it comes to things that I've, I've blown up. I'm very gracious to myself. I'm kind, I'm merciful, especially when I've sinned, especially when I've sinned against my wife. I'm very gracious to myself. Um, Here's another way I love myself. I feed myself. And I did that a little bit extra during lockdown. Uh, I clothe myself. Love clothing myself. Point five, I protect myself from all elements, so I make sure that I have shelter. I, I want the best for myself. I entertain my dreams, my goals, my ambitions. That's how I love myself. And I can bet you that's how most of you in this room love yourselves. And so James will say, if that's how you love yourself, well, do the same for your neighbor. Do the same for your neighbor. It would be ridiculous that we sit here with bellies that are full, but yet there's one of us sitting in this room who's going home hungry. 
Love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. And here's the thing, church, this is not a new idea. In fact, in Matthew 7, verses 12, we don't have to go there. James's older brother, Jesus, says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's how we love our neighbor. And James says in verses 8, If we would do this, then we are doing well. What is this well that we are doing? Um, uh, yeah, what is this well that we are doing? Well, again, it would remind us of our summary statement. James wants these Christians to maintain a distinctively Christian attitude anywhere they find themselves, with anyone at any time. If you're loving your neighbor, then you are doing well in maintaining a distinctively Christian attitude. The world hates each other. You see it at work. You see it in your own family when somebody has died and you're like, Oof, I really want to go bury them, but I want to deal with all of these people. There's all the bickering, all the hatred, all the nya-nya-nya that you don't want to be part of. And so James says we, we would be doing well if we love our neighbors other Christian brothers and sisters, as we love ourselves. We would be maintaining a distinctively Christian attitude. So, so we know who our neighbor is. We know how to love them. So again, what does this have to do with the royal law? Okay, we, we're going to do some gymnastics in trying to understand what this royal law is that James speaks of. So in verses 8, we know that the royal law demands love. So that's a clear requirement. Right? Whatever the royal law is, it demands love. In verses 9, we know that if we don't love but show uh, partiality, the royal law will co- convict us as transgressors. In verses 11, James picks up the same idea of conviction and says again, uh, the royal law will convict us. In verses 12, he continues with the same idea of the law, But here he doesn't call it the royal law in verses 12. What does he call it? That's a genuine question. Just wanted to check if you guys are reading. What does he call it? The law of liberty, right? So he doesn't call it uh, the royal law, but he calls it the law of liberty. If you were here last week, where did we see this phrase? The law of liberty. Chapter 1, verses 25. Listen to what 25 says. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Remember what we said the law of liberty is. The law of liberty is the truth that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. Not once did Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, did he break the law of God. Not once. And he did all of that so that he can take off the burden from us of having to fulfill the requirements of the law in and of ourselves. And so that is the gospel. That is the good news. That Jesus did that for us. So now we can positively look at the law as something that is a call over our lives to be holy and no longer something that just convicts us. Right? Amen. The law convicts non-Christians because they're always trying to keep the law in and off their own strengths. But for us, we know that the grace of God enables us, empowers us to fulfill the law. And we no longer do it to be accepted, but we do it because that's the call of our lives, to be holy as God is holy. 
That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so what would be this royal law? Well, it's the kingdom law. It's the gospel itself. James uses the word royal um, to uh, uh, point to this idea of the kingdom. Again, in a kingdom, you have a king. This king is Jesus. And so all kings are royal. And so the royal law is the kingdom law. Verses 5 of chapter 2, read there with me. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. Right? So you see that. Jesus has rescued those who were poor in the world, called them to be heirs in his kingdom, and he does that through the gospel. So if we pause there and think about what James has said to us, the royal law is the kingdom law. The kingdom law is good news. Good news is the gospel. And if that is true, church, then the gospel gives us no option but to love others. The gospel gives us no option but to love other people. Why? Because if we consider what the gospel is, we will see how much we have been loved by Jesus, by what he's done for us on that cross. And that moves us to love other people. Changes how you read verses 8. If you really fulfill the gospel according to the scriptures, then you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if this is true, verses 9 says, how could you believe in the gospel and turn around and show or participate in the sin of partiality? How can you say, I love the gospel. I've given my life to Jesus. I will preach the gospel anywhere you send me. The gospel is good news that a dying world needs, but yet turn around and treat rich people better than you would people who are poor in the church. How could you do that, verses 9 says to us. James says to these Christians, James says to us this evening, how could you have classism in the church? How could you treat people who drive fancier cars than others in the church as more valuable? Uh, well, this one drives a test, Joe, you know. You must go sit there at the backward ridge. Simba, sitting in front, drives a nice Range Rover. He's even got Nikes. What is Reggie wearing? Reggie's wearing no names there. Let's relegate him to the back. How could you believe in the gospel of Jesus and yet you do that to Jesus' body? And this application, church, could be expanded. It's not just classism that James wants us to think about in our own context. How could you believe in the gospel and be racist? And before we turn around to the only three white people in the room and you think black people can't be racist, then you don't believe the gospel. The gospel will tell you that you're a sinner regardless of your skin color and you have the same propensity to hate other people of different races. How could you be racist and believe the gospel? How could you be sexist and believe the gospel? Well, it's just, you know, these chicks, man. They're just chicks, Joe. Yeah, sure. The same mouth you praise the Lord who died for you. And you turn around and treat your sisters like the world treats them. How could you believe in the gospel and be a tribalist? 
You know those Tswanas, man. David. They all have big heads. <laughs> you turn around and insult my people. You know those Zulus are always violent. If you, how could we even let a Zulu preach in this church? We're the only tribe that's named after the heavens. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But James will say to these Christians, this is what partiality is. This is the sin of division. And James is not speaking about mistakes. Let's let's get this right. James is not saying, you know, you used to be a a full-blown racist. You met Jesus, you repented from your sin, and now you're struggling with the sin of racism. Right? He's not saying that. But he's speaking about this as markers. This is your identity. This is who you are. When people think of Christchurch Midran, they think of it as the racist church. That's our identity. That's the classist church. That's the sexist church. That's the tribalistic church. That's your identity. That's your marker. That's who you are. You cannot be that and believe in the gospel of Jesus. In fact, verses 9 says this very gospel will expose you as transgressors. And so if you here and you are struggling with the sin of partiality and it's expressed in any of these things, classism, racism, sexism, or, or tribalism, and that stuff is making it hard for you to love your neighbor. James has a very pastoral heart, so do I this evening, that remember this gospel that Jesus has called you to. Jesus loved hard, especially when he was hard, when he was going to the cross to save you. In fact, if you read the Gospel of Luke, uh, I think in chapter 22, verses 44, uh, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And he's filled with so much uh, anxiety about what's going to happen as he goes to the cross to die that Luke tells us that Jesus' sweat turned into blood. And most people read that and think, wow, the Bible is just being very extra. No, it's an actual medical condition. So much anguish, so much anxiety that he was sweating blood. He loved hard, especially when it was hard. So you might be struggling with the sin of partiality this evening. Turn to that same Jesus. See how he loved you hard, especially when it was hard. The soldiers come in into the garden and Peter, who's very zealous, cuts the ear of the soldier and Jesus puts it back and says, yo, listen, I mean, this is my translation, but he says, yo, listen, uh, let's not do that, All right? If I wanted to call a legion of 12,000 angels, I'd do that. It's called a divine flex. Uh, but what Jesus is saying is that one angel could destroy the whole of Jerusalem. If I wanted to stop this right now, me not go to the cross, I would call 12,000 legions of angels. They would destroy the planet. So it's hard for me to go to the cross, but I'm going to do it. I loved hard in my life, living obediently to God, obediently to God, where you failed to do so, broke every single law. I loved hard by keeping it for you. It's hard now, especially as I go to the cross, 
but I'll continue doing it. So turn to that cross if that's you this evening. Turn to the cross of Christ and see how he loved hard, especially when it was hard. So so our first point for uh, the evening was a bit long. Uh, The next two are not going to be that long. So we looked at love. Let's look at law, uh, verses 10 till 11. Verses 10 reads as follows. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, he has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So James knows the hearts of his audience. And, and I don't think that these Christians' hearts are different from our hearts. James says, if, I've already told you in point one that you need to love because that's who you are. You are people of love. Love hard, especially when it's hard. Guess what our hearts will do? Our hearts will convince us and deceive us um, into justifying why we shouldn't love. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's happening with these Christians here because they say, well, I, I don't commit adultery. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not like all of these other people. And so they're justifying why they shouldn't love as opposed to loving. And that might even be us sitting here this evening. Well, I might be a struggling racist in my heart and in my thoughts, but at least I'm not like the guy who cheats on his wife and breaks his family. I might be a classist, and I divide people based on whether they're poor or rich, and I judge them like that. But at least I'm not like some of these girls who sleep around. That might be our hearts this evening. That was the hearts of these Christians. And James is saying, you're so deceived, you can't even see that you continue dividing people, and now you're even doing it on the basis of your own self-righteousness. So before it was rich and poor, now it's them and me. You continue going deeper into the sin of partiality. James won't let them play these foolish games with themselves. And he won't let them play these games with with God. Verses 10, James reminds them that if you break one command, you have broken all of them. You are guilty of breaking all commands before God as though you have broken all of them if you mess with one. And so he says, wake up. Don't play the sin of partiality with God. Verses 11, why won't you play that with God? Because God is not divided. God is one God is the only true God. Can you see that beginning of verses 11, that phrase when he says, He who said, he rests all of this on God. God is not divided. God is one true God. He is not partial. As he gives the law to not commit adultery, it's the same God who gives the law not to murder. So he does not look at those laws as though they are different to those commands. They hold equal weight. You might have stolen a rubber in school, or you might have murdered somebody. They are all sins. You have broken the law of God, and God who gives that law, he's not divided in and of himself. Um, And so you can't play division or partiality with him. So you cannot say, I don't commit adultery, I don't cheat on my spouse, or I don't sleep around, but yet you are fine with murder. And you might be thinking to yourself, how did we move from partiality to murder? 
Well, here's what the point is. And Jesus picks this up in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 5, rather, verses 21. If you have your Bible, turn there. Matthew 5, verses 21 till 22. Listen to what Matthew says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So can you see what what Jesus is saying, what James is alluding to? That the sin of partiality starts in the heart. And what happens after that is that it leads to murder. Or is as, as good as murder. Because murder starts off as racism. Murder starts off as classism. Murder starts off as, as tribalism. That's what murder starts off as. So you might just think, oh, just... It's in my head, I'm just hating this person. But James is saying what Jesus has been saying all along, that hatred in the heart leads to murder. The sin of partiality is that deadly. Only love, again, can conquer this kind of hate in all of us. So James would plea with these Christians, I plea with us this evening, let us be active, let us be intentional in pursuing each other for love. If you are struggling to love Christians, if you are struggling with the sin of partiality, commit today. Just look around. Pick somebody. I'm going to call whoever. I'm going to invite them to my house tomorrow or sometime during the week. I'm going to cook for them. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen to their story. It's hard to hate somebody when they're sitting in your house and you've cooked for them. And they're telling you about their story, and you're like, oh, that's why you irritate me. (laughs) Okay. I get it now. I thought I hated you, but yeah, it's just you're a Zimbo, that's it. (laughs) And open your home, genuinely. If you're struggling with the sin of partiality, you need to get into people's lives. We cannot play church. The world is already doing that. People have social clubs, people have stock fairs, people have uh, slay queen hangouts, whatever they call it, right? The world is already doing that, and all of them know that they're pretending towards each other. As they get into the slay queen club, they're all thinking, oh, why is Tia wearing such a cheap weave? Oh, look at Simba's shoes. They're all pretending. But they're all going to smile and hug each other. Oh, I've missed you. Oh, I think this was great that we all hung out and we should come back and do this again next week. Have you met those people, right, who are like, oh, bro, I haven't seen you in a minute, man. You know, we should, we should hang out next time. They're never calling you. Don't lie. There's enough of that in the world. Why should we play church? Why should we pretend to love each other? Why should we do exactly what the world is doing? People are running out there to come in here because they're looking for genuine love. So let's not play church. Let's not play social clubs. Let's not play hanging out. Genuinely love people. So I implore you, and I plead with you, 
Just look around now. And pray in your heart, God, I'm going to pick somebody as we leave just to say to them, hey, can I, can I love you this week? So that's our second point, uh, the law. God is not going to let us justify our sin. We looked at love, we looked at the law. Our last point for this evening is live, verses 12 till 13. Listen to what James says. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James is saying in these verses, let us not live as people who don't have a standard. We have a standard. Our standard is love. And this love is from the gospel. This love mocks our speech, our thoughts, our deeds. It's a practical love, church. It's a love that shows mercy, as we see there in verses 13. In fact, I'm doing a a research paper uh, now, just looking at the parallels between Matthew uh, and James. And as I was reading verses 12 and 13, I could not help but think of Matthew 25, uh, verses 34 and 36. It will be on the screen. Uh, But here's here's what James is saying in verses 12. He summarizes what we see in Matthew 35, um, 34 rather, till uh, till 40. And so so listen to what, what, what James is saying there, echoing what his older brother was teaching. Matthew 25. Is it on the screen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's, let's go through that now. Verses 30. Um, we'll start at verse 34. Listen, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed. By my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And, then he, uh, and when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these least of my brothers, you did it to me. And see what Jesus is saying there, is what Matthew, uh, James is saying, rather, in verses 12, that we live as those who will be judged by the standard of the kingdom. There's those who are righteous, who are on the right side of Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying to them, you will inherit this kingdom. Why? Because you clothed me. You looked after me. You did all of these things when I was in need. And they're asking themselves, well, we don't remember you in that state. And Jesus is saying, well, if you did it to one of these neighbors around you, you did it to me. If you love these Christians here, you are loving Jesus. Your act of love is ultimately towards Jesus. So you might think, as I'm asking you and pleading with you, invite somebody for coffee, hang out with them, cook for them, love them, that you're looking at them and you're thinking, I really, I don't like this person. That's fine, but you like Jesus, don't you? 
And this person is who Jesus has placed before you to love as you love him. So our acts of love are ultimately towards Jesus. As you look after those who are poor among us, who are helpless among us, you don't discriminate on the basis of race or sex or tribe, you are loving your neighbor and that love is towards Jesus. Verses 13 of James. James is saying that that if we don't show mercy, then no mercy will be shown to us at the judgment. Turn back again to Matthew 25 and listen to what Jesus says. He's spoken of the righteous in verses 34 till 40. But listen to what he says in 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and, you, uh, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they too will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and we did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And you will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And see what he's saying there, that there'll be some of us sitting here, and we meet Jesus, And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you never lived like a person of love. Depart from me, you never lived like a person of joy. Depart from me, you never lived like somebody who has given themselves to my word. And you will say, but Lord, when did we not do all of those things to you? And you can kind of hear the hypocrisy already. We would never do that to you, Lord. You're important, you're beautiful, you're glorious, you're majestic, you have a high position. And Jesus will say, that's what, exactly what you did to poor people. You treated them like nothing because you wanted to treat everybody else who's glorious, beautiful, majestic, who has a high position, as though they're more worthy than those who are poor among you. Depart from me and go into eternal fires that are prepared for Satan and his angels. So we cannot live with the sin of partiality, church. We should live as those who have mercy. Mercy to anyone who's sitting next to us. Mercy to anyone who walks through those gates. Because the last of verses 13 in the book of James, in chapter 2, James says this kind of mercy triumphs over judgment. And what is this mercy that triumphs over judgment? Well, it's this union that we have with Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we can, from that point, be merciful towards other people. That's the only mercy that's going to trump God's judgment on final day. You cannot bring your own works. You cannot bring anything else but this mercy. Why should my judgment not fall upon you? Oh, Lord, because of the mercy that I receive from you, and through that, I live to show mercy to other people. I lived to maintain a distinctively Christian attitude. Anywhere, 
with anyone at any time. So church, I urge you, let us love hard, especially when it is hard. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much um, for your word. For your word calls us um, to deep realities, Lord. Father, as we look around, it's, it's not easy, Father, to, to love. One, because that's not the natural disposition of our hearts. And two, Father, we love ourselves. It's too much. So I pray, Father, that you would, you would sanctify us and, and work the sin of partiality out of us. Especially among us, Lord, as brothers and sisters. That as the world looks at us, Father, they must see what true, genuine love is. And we know that, Lord, because you loved us first. So I pray, Lord, that we may all make a resolve in our hearts to look around this room and actively love each other. Help us not to justify our sin and help us, Lord, not to live as people who are merciless. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.